Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guests for this 454th show are Brett Menard, Terry Topler, and yours truly. And we're going to be talking about a lit circle we did on Michael Sandel's book, The Tyranny of Merit. So, Terry, you we've been kind of doing round-robin questions to each other, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll let you start off. Okay, so I guess I will start with a bit more of a general question. Um, Brett and Jay, what did you find the most surprising element um, in the book that you we read. Go ahead, Brett. It really surprised you. Oh, I'll, I need a little more think time, Jay, so you oh, get okay. to go first. Um, <laughs> for me, it was the complicity of center-left and center-right. So talking about you know both sides of the political aisle, but folks that are basically in the center um, – ideologically it was amazing to me i just was not as aware that that we had put so much effort into advocating for a tyranny of merit um i think it was didn't barack obama use the phrase um you know, you you get what you earn, or you um, you know the, the your your earnings are determined by your learnings, or there were just all of these things that 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 all of these folks, whether you're talking about Bill Clinton or or Obama or George Jr. or whatever, that you know everybody was pushing that concept, that idea that globalization is good. Um, that it's that it's wonderful that everybody wins um, and that one of the reasons it's good is because it really does identify uh, it really does determine where you where you whether you're a winner or a loser depending on the amount of money and success that you can generate um, and you know, maybe I was a little bit aware that that was true, but you know, when you start looking at at dozens of times that these this sort of rhetoric came along out of people who I did and still do really respect politically, it was a little hard on me, and that was you know the most surprising and and the thing that made me think the most. Well, and I guess with a couple moments to think about it the thing that surprised me most was uh, he talked about how this system comes along and you can really trace it um, pretty directly to a single um, Ivy league university president. (laughs) And the system is working as intended, but they did not, foresee the consequences being what they are. So they thought, oh, of course, you know, you're going to have losers in this system because every system has winners and losers, but it's not going to be that bad and we'll still find something for, for them to do. And it's just amazing how cutthroat things have become for those very few 
spots at the top and how even though we lie to ourselves about merit uh, being the sole determinant, yet at some point, you and Sandel uses this example, you have a pool of so many qualified people for so few slots that you're just as good um, throwing darts at a wall or blindly reaching into a bag to pull out names as you are likely to have any chance of successfully ranking uh, those individuals because there's just not enough differences in their level of merit uh, once you get to a certain point. Right. Terry, I'm going to turn that question back around to you. What was most surprising for you? I think it also, for me, was to also evaluate, you know, my, what Oprah used to call shadow beliefs. You know, those things that sometimes you, you believe, but you don't realize how crucial they are into the foundation of your beliefs. And so I can, from personal experience, my family, they were very education driven. Um, my mother assumed, you know, that we would all go to college uh, because that's what we did. And so it was never, an, you know, an idea to do anything differently. Um, it was just that assumption. And also how much that resonated uh, with me as I'm reading through some many of our different uh, presidential leaders and the things that they stated, all with good intentions, but drove us down this lane of the meritocratic ideal. So let me flip that question around uh, on the group now. So, Terry, you asked about, you know, what was the most surprising takeaway from the book? What was the least surprising thing? What was the thing that you, you know, could have told yourself before you uh, read the back cover? (laughs) Well, I think... uh... I mean, it did answer my question about how we have gotten to be so polarized in our political discussion. And so I can see that. And I had a fairly good understanding of why we're so polarized. But this really brought it home to me because it's talked more that the divide is partly not about inequality, but also the attitude about winning and losing um, that comes with it. And I didn't see that at the very beginning. I think the least surprising thing to me was the divide itself, was was the, the idea of, of what's happened, because I was pretty aware of, you know, how much income inequality had taken place over the last mm-hmm. 25 years or so. Um, you know, how we, you know, what, what's the statistic now that the top 1% owns what is it? Seventy percent of everything in the country, um, you know, in terms of of wealth differential. I, I was aware of that, so that that wasn't surprising to me. Um, and uh, I, I guess I also wasn't, you know, I didn't find it surprising that there was this this group of folks who who were being who were believing what they were being told 
that they weren't valuable, they weren't important, so forth and so on. Um, and, and part of that was being around Rick, who's been you know howling and screaming about the the bias against um, you know trades and and that kind of thing, but also because on my mom's side of the family, almost all of those folks are rural. Um, either farmers of some variety or another, uh, or at least rural small business owners. And sitting at family reunions, I've been hearing for years this complaint about, you know, because they live in Illinois, nothing ever trickles past you know, the, the loop, nothing ever gets out of Chicago. All this money flows in, it never flows back out again. Um, and you know, we're constantly being left with worse roads and worse this and worse that, and we're losing our small schools and all of this. And, and meanwhile, it seems like all the help is going somewhere else. So, you know, that, that, sort of sense of disenfranchisement was something I was pretty familiar with already. I just didn't know quite what the, the origins were um, and, and how that then tied into Trump's success as a politician. Well, and I think, and this doesn't have a question attached to it, but it does clarify why people like J.D. Vance, um, and other Republican politicians who have Ivy League um, qualifications and, and did go to the elite schools um, run so far from that. It used to be, if you think of uh, George Bush or George W. Bush, you know, having that Ivy League education, regardless of whose money got it for you really was something that you wanted to talk up um, and promote when campaigning. And boy, howdy, has that changed. You have people who would probably um, throw, throw a fit at a debate if, it, if their opponent simply brought up, this is where you went to school. Right. Um. So I, I get the honor of asking the last question, and we've only got about four minutes or so to to debate it. Um, one of the things that Sandel talks about is an economic theory, which basically argues that the economy has no um, that, that there's, there's no place in the economy for ethics or morals or, or decisions on, um, on the common good. The economy just is the economy sorts in terms of people who have skills that are rewarded and those who don't, or people who can create things that are wanted, want to be consumed or people who don't, and that there's, there's no moral, um, application to that. Sandel refutes that, and and I absolutely refute that as well. So I'm interested in you guys' opinion. Is it possible to have a non-moral economy, to have an economy that has no moral impact on the society it's embedded in? Well, I will go ahead and answer that. Um, Yes, I believe that is the case, um, that we can have a society um, that reflects our ethics and our morals. 
as long as we're not so consumer-driven and driven by, say, the measure of success being money. Um, and I was, because one of the things I found interesting in his book was when he talked about that we have less economic mobility in the U.S. today than in many other countries, and that he even mentions that the American dream is alive and well in in Denmark and Canada, right. not here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Brett. So I think that the the argument that was successfully made was economies are largely amoral. You know, they don't they don't care, but people's interactions with those economies certainly have a moral um so he talks about how in an earlier time under like feudalism, well, this is just where you were put. So that's, that's all it is. It's, it's where you got put. Don't have to feel bad about it. Um, it's just the way of things. And, and I think that has a lot of value. Um, it, Psychologically, I know psychologically we talk about locus, an internal locus of control and feeling like you have uh, control over what happens to you. But there is some freedom in acknowledging that, you know, at some level you are uh, at the mercy of the winds of fate. Sure. All right. Well. We could talk forever and ever. In fact, we did. Uh, we we talked um, for uh, about two hours for over um, eight different sessions and still uh, have much more to say. But we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, I, Brett, I want to thank you and Terry for uh, joining me here and talking about this. I hope that our listeners uh, are intrigued enough to go out and grab the book. It is worth a read regardless of where you fall uh, on these sorts of things. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KLA HD 2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.